Well, good morning. As Renee mentioned, uh, welcome. We are continuing this morning a series that we're calling Holy Interruptions, and we're noticing that over and over again in Scripture that God continues to interrupt the lives of ordinary men and women, people like you, people like me, calling them to and empowering them for unique and extraordinary lives of service that brings a sense of hope, that brings transformation to the world. And we're noticing, too, that that very same God calls each of us as well to bring hope and healing, to partner with God, to, to bring heaven to earth. This morning, we're looking at the story of Esther, which is a fantastic story, although not necessarily all that well known, it, so it requires a little bit of background. Now, the story takes place in the 5th century BCE, during the reign, we are told, of Emperor Xerxes. Now, the book of Esther sort of reads almost like a Jewish novella. It is set in history, but it's told almost like a fairy tale. It uses big language. It uses hyperbole a lot. For instance, it starts by saying, when Xerxes was emperor, he ruled over 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia. Well, historians will go back and look and say that, well, that never really happened. The kingdom, the empire was never quite that big, but the storyteller doesn't care. He's like a good preacher, never lets the truth get in the way of a good story. He's going to do whatever he can to try and get our attention, get us to pay attention. Sort of like the story begins by saying, once upon a time, there was this great king, and he had all this wealth and all this power. Well, what does this king do with all that wealth and with all that power? We are told that he holds a banquet. Now, whenever we hear in the book of Esther the word banquet, I want you to think wild party, because this was a rager. He throws a huge party, and this party lasts for six months. It is an abuse of excess of wealth and power. And this is not just any ordinary party. This is a stag party. There were no women allowed. It was just the king and all of his buddies, and they drank and they partied for six months. And at the end of that party, at the end of that party, he really wanted to show off, to end it with a bang. And so what he does is he invites his queen, Vashti, who's a beautiful woman, to come and to dance, he says, wearing your crown, only your crown. <laughs> well, Vashti is no dummy. She looks at this and says, these guys have been drinking and partying for six months, and they want me to come dance naked. What could possibly go wrong in this situation? <laughs> And so she says, no. Well, she knows that she could be punished, she could be killed, or maybe even worse, but instead she is just banished, which is in some way sort of the best case scenario. Well, the council, the cabinet, all of the king's horses and all the king's men, they decide that they're going to have a contest to see who would be the next queen. And what they do is they have a pageant, and they invite all of the young women from all over Persia, and they were brought one by one in front of of the king. If this sounds misogynistic and sexist, congratulations, you're paying attention. It is. It is a sordid story. 
that allows us to read between the lines and fill in the blanks. Well, one of these young women was a young Jewish girl by the name of Esther, and she catches the emperor's eye. He says she's the one. Now, we don't know how old she was, but she was probably not very old. We learn that she's an orphan, that both of her parents had died, and that she had been raised by her cousin by the name of Mordecai. Now, Mordecai was a wise man, and he knew that in that time that Jews were not necessarily the favored people. And so he told her, do not tell anyone that you are Jewish. Just hide that part of you. Keep your background hidden just to be safe. Well, she keeps a quiet dignity, a humble grace, and she becomes queen. Well, the story moves forward, and a few chapters later, we meet a man by the name of Haman, who was one of the cabinet members, one of the right-hand men of the king, and he was awful. He was pompous. He hates Mordecai because Mordecai, as a good Jew, uh, refuses to bow down in front of Haman. Haman takes this as a sign of disrespect and says he must die, but not just him, all of his people. And so he moves forward with a plan to kill not just Mordecai, but all Jews. Well, Mordecai catches wind of this, his fate and that of his people, and he sends a message to the queen because she's in a place, he says. You are in a place to save your people. We need you to do something. But as you'll hear in the story that you're about to hear, she's afraid. She's afraid for her own life. She says, I can't do that. Because anyone, anyone that just shows up in front of the king uninvited, well, that's an invitation to die. Anyone will be killed. And that is when Mordecai writes back this now famous line that is the essence of the story that we will hear this morning. So I invite you to listen to this part of the story of Esther. Through 14. Hatak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hatak and gave him a message for Mordecai, saying, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, I myself have not been called to come in to the king for thirty days. When they told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep your silence at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another quarter, but you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for such a time as this. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Who knows, Mordecai says. Maybe you have come. Maybe you are here, put in this place for a time such as this. Have you ever seen, maybe in your life or maybe the life of someone that you love, how one person, one conversation, one action, one event can change the trajectory of a person's life, or maybe even the trajectory of an entire family, an entire nation, an entire people. 
Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever seen that happen? Well, in essence, that is the story of Esther. The book of Esther is considered to be an etiology. It's an origin story, and by that it means it tells the story of how something came into being. Esther explains the beginnings of the Jewish festival known as Purim. Purim is held each year on the 14th day of the Hebrew month of Adar, which is typically what we know as spring. And this year it'll be held in the middle of March. And it's always a time of great celebration, a great time of fasting and feasting and eating. And I mentioned a moment ago that Esther's story is almost sort of satirical, that it's sort of tongue-in-cheek, filled with hyperbole. As one commentary put it, it's almost like, uh, it reads almost like a Saturday Night Live skit, right? The characters are real, but with overblown personalities. For instance, the palace court characters and the kings, they are depicted as cartoon-like, almost buffoonish. In the king's council, the king's advisors, they are awful. And yet, the more outlandish the suggestions that they make, the more likely it is that the king will take that advice. And even today, even today, if you were to go to any synagogue anywhere in the world on the festival of Purim, they would read the entire book of Esther. And as they do, whenever the heroes' names are mentioned, someone like Esther or Mordecai, the whole congregation claps and cheers and hollers. And when any one of the villains' names, especially Haman, when their name is read, the congregation hisses and boos. I don't know about you, but that sounds awesome to me. I would love to go to that. Now, I know this is going to date me, but to me, I have this image of what that's like. It's sort of the Rocky Horror Picture Show meets church, sort of how I envision that. But really, the story of Esther is a profound story of how God sets people apart for holy purposes, calls them, invites them to stand up and to speak out for those that are being persecuted, those whose lives are in danger, those who need others to speak out because they have no voice of their own. And sometimes, sometimes a storyteller has to go to great lengths in order to get people to pay attention to that moment. Several years ago, Tony Campolo, who's a retired Baptist minister, also a retired college professor, went to a church someplace in the Midwest, probably not unlike this one, really nice sort of high church, but this one maybe even a little more high church than ours, the type where, where all of the men wear suits and ties, all of the women wear dresses and white gloves and hats. It's very pristine, very prestigious, very uptight, I guess maybe you could say that. It's a little uptight. Well, he was invited, and he is the opposite of all of those things that I just used to describe this church. And so he goes there, and he stands up, and he begins his sermon by saying, 30,000 people starve to death every day. And that is a damn shame. True either. What he said rhymes with pity. 30,000 people every day. But what's even worse, he said, what's even worse is that you are more upset that I just swore in your pulpit than you are about the 30,000 people that starve to death every day, and he sat down. 
Sometimes we have to be bold to get people to pay attention. One of the things that I love, one of the things I find fascinating about this story is that it is the answer to a trivia question. Now, the trivia question is this. What is the only book of the Bible in which God is not mentioned? Esther. God is not mentioned at all in the book of Esther, but yet, even though God is never mentioned, God is never named, God appears in this story to be silent. There is this palpable sense that God is there, that God is present, that God is sort of working behind the scenes, between the lines, working, working to save and deliver God's people through Esther and Mordecai. That God's voice, God's guidance is working through them to change the trajectory of people's lives. You see, I think that God acts that way a whole lot more than we realize between the lines, behind the scenes, not overtly, not miraculously, not necessarily in a loud, booming voice or a burning bush, but more often than not, quietly, nudging us through our sense of intuition, through our longings. Adam Hamilton talks about the importance of trusting our gut, believing that to be the voice of God. If there's ever something that you feel called to do and it makes you a little queasy, makes you a little anxious, make you a little sick to your stomach, there's a good chance, he says, that that's God. That if you've got a big decision to make and there's one that seems really hard and it feels in the pit of your stomach like, ugh, that sounds really difficult, that's probably the one that God wants you to take. Think about it. We teach our children all the time to trust their gut, that if you're ever in a situation where something doesn't feel right, that it probably isn't. But yet, if something feels so right that it makes, us, makes you nauseous because you know it's the hard thing, it's probably the right thing. Discernment by nausea, he says. Of course, the key to deciding whether or not that is God and not just the leftover pepperoni pizza that you had in the middle of the night, well, that's another sermon for another time. But discernment by nausea is a real thing. What we see in the story is that God needs people to stand up, to speak out against injustice, against the oppressive structures, that God uses Mordecai's words, that God uses Mordecai's voice to deliver with a shocking force to Esther, that she has been placed in her position at a time such as this for this very purpose. You see, I believe with all that I am, that every single one of us are born at the time and the place in which God places us for a certain purpose. God gives us a role to play in the great novella of life and says this is the reason that you were born. This is the purpose of your life. It is our job as people of faith, to discern and to discover what that purpose is and then giving everything that we have to living it out. I think God calls ordinary people to do extraordinary things. People like you and me to be conduits of God's kingdom on earth. But sometimes we think like Esther, what can I possibly do? 
I don't have the skill. I don't have the will to make a difference. Uh, There's got to be someone more qualified than me. There's got to be someone other than me. Dear God, let anyone besides me. But maybe there's something right in front of you, right in front of your face that needs to be addressed. Maybe it's a family issue. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a, a business issue. Maybe, uh, maybe it's something around you that you feel afraid to speak up because the consequences might be too big. And you think, if I say something, if I do something, well, I could jeopardize my job. I might lose that friendship. I might be ostracized. Maybe you think, I just don't have time to deal with that. Well, if that's you, and yet you feel that little sense of nausea, you too are uniquely positioned for a time such as this in your family, in your business, in your workplace, in your friendships, in your church, in your world, in whatever roles or position that God has currently placed you in, you are needed to make a difference. You see, I think that that is true for all of us. It's true for individuals, and I also think it's true for churches. That part of our role as a community of faith is to discern amongst ourselves who are the people that we need to be speaking out on their behalf, who need our attention. I mentioned a moment ago there are 30,000 people that starve to death every day. Well, good news, that number has dropped now in the last several years. Only 25,000 people starve to death every single day. Maybe they are the ones who need us. You see, throughout Scripture, what we see over and over again is this imperative to care for the poor, the vulnerable, the injured, the widow, the refugee. Over and over again, we are told that we cannot honor God without caring for the human needs around us. And don't we often say, I just wish the Bible were more clear about this, whatever this is, whatever the issue is that we're dealing with. I just wish the Bible were more clear. Well, church, the Bible could not be more clear than around our imperative to care for the little, the lost, and the least. You see, time and again through Scripture, we are told that we are to love God, and the way that we love God oftentimes is to care for the poor. That, that love is, suppressed, is, is expressed in action and not just in word. As the church, as the people of God, we have a calling to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, but also to lift up the downtrodden, to not just alleviate the effects of injustice, but also the causes of it. And so maybe we are here right now in a time such as this to speak up for those who need us the most, Maybe, maybe we are here right now that God has placed us as a community of faith in this time, in this place, to care for the children in Fort Worth who continue to struggle with literacy and with learning, who have found that they are falling farther behind because of the pandemic. Maybe, maybe we are here for a time such as this to help with that issue. Or maybe we are here in a time such as this to welcome the stranger, to, to offer sanctuary to the refugee. You may know the story that a few months ago, we got a call 
on a Monday afternoon from the refugee services of Texas. There was a family of 11 that was coming in on a flight later the next day, a family of 11. They were fleeing the Taliban. They had been in a camp in El Paso, and they were coming here to be closer to family. They needed a place to stay just for a couple of days. As you can imagine, it's really hard to find an apartment, a place for a family of 11 to all stay together. We have some things in line, they said. We just need them, need a place for them to stay for a couple of days. Well, here we are. Three months later, and that smell that you can smell this morning that is their cooking because this congregation has taken them in. And I cannot begin to tell you how many people have donated their time, their treasure. They have come with all that they have to care for this family. We have, we have taught them English. We have given them haircuts. We have done everything and anything that we can do to show this family that they are loved by God and that they are cared for by this congregation. Just this last week, we got the great news that a lease has been signed on a four-bedroom, three-bed house not too far from here, and they will be moving in in a couple of days. And some of the children started school this week at Tanglewood Elementary, and they came bounding home, home, with smiles on their faces. I went to school, they said. I wonder, I wonder if we were here in a time such as this. You see, I love Esther's story because I think hers is so much like our own that we are called almost daily to open our eyes to the small and to the large injustices, to the problems that surround us. And often we wonder if it's God's voice that is calling us to act or maybe just our wild imaginations. But we need, we need wise counsel. That's the reason we are a part of a community of faith so that we can bounce these ideas, so that we can discern together, to listen to those promptings to either affirm or deny that that is a voice that is calling you. You see, like Esther, we're sometimes guilty of wanting to remain safe and comfortable behind, behind our palace walls and to allow someone else to stand forward and to take the risk. But church, the God, God calls you. God calls us. And in reading this story, we can celebrate that God calls and works not just through the burning bushes or the miraculous, but also and maybe even more often working behind the scenes to bring salvation. Even today, through people like you and me, one person, one conversation, one bold action can change the trajectory of another person's life. Or maybe even the trajectory of an entire family, an entire people. That's the story of Easter. But church, it's also the story of us. That maybe we are here for a time such as this. And that God is calling us nudging us to stand up, to speak out, to transform the world by living out 
Christ's courageous love. Amen.